Welcome back to another episode of Product Love, hosted by Eric Bodick, serial entrepreneur and co-founder of Pendo, a product experience platform. Every day we use different kinds of products to help us go about our lives. Behind each product is a product manager who has carefully built something they hope their users love. This is Product Love, the podcast where we interview product managers and explore the craft of product management. Welcome lovers of product. If you love listening to this podcast, you might be interested to know that some of our previous guests will be headlining the Product Craft Conference. So the Product Craft Conference is in San Francisco. It's coming up. It's on February 25th, and tickets are on sale now. You can get them at productcraft.com slash conference. Welcome, lovers of product. Today, I'm here with Jake Seroffman, and we have a special episode of Product Love today, where instead of interviewing a product leader about his background, his experiences, and what he's passionate about in the product space, we're going to talk about the state of product leadership report. Jake, why don't we kick this off with you giving us a little bit of your background and talking about the background behind the state of product leadership. Yeah, thanks, Eric. It's good to be here. Well, first of all, I, I guess my, my day job is I'm CMO of Pendo, and I've been with Pendo for about two and a half years. And before that, I was a Gartner analyst for about five years covering CMO and digital marketing topics and acting as chief, chief of research for that group at Gartner. And before that, ran marketing for venture-backed software companies for 15, 16 years. So that's, that's sort of my background, and I think it's useful to point that out because what we're talking about today is kind of a collision of disciplines. It's um, both looking at product leadership and also the discipline of market research, which is something that obviously I put to practice in my time at Gartner. I'll also point out one other thing by way of background. Earlier in my career, it, was, it wasn't uncommon for me as a marketing leader to run product management teams. So I do have experience um, leading product management as part of the marketing function. And as we dig into the findings from this year's report, you'll see that that's becoming progressively less common. It's probably a good thing. I mean, as a marketing leader, I, I ran product <laughs> management once too. Though I am more of a, a product guy uh, by background, so I guess that wasn't as much of a stretch. But I, I definitely have seen, you know, we've all seen uh, leaders owning product in the past that probably shouldn't. So yeah. not saying that was you, but just saying in general, uh, seeing product at seat at the executive table is definitely a great trend. Yeah, well, I, I, think, I think you're right. I think ultimately giving product its equivalent position at the leadership table, reporting up to a C-level executive, it makes a lot of sense. I, in the earlier days before that was common, you were really faced with a couple of different scenarios before CPOs emerged, which was product reporting up to marketing or product reporting up to engineering. And that was kind of the, those were the more common reporting lines. And you know, the arguments that I would make at the time and, and, and maybe the story I told myself was that the marketer was closer to the voice of the customer, understood the, the market, and um, was less likely to inform a product strategy that was a solution in search of a problem. Not say engineering teams would always do that, but marketers were less technical, uh, less enamored with technology, and more tapped into the voice of the customer. Well, awesome, Jake. We'll take it back to a little bit of the state of product leadership before we delve too much into our product backgrounds. So talk to me about what's inspired Pendo to start the state of product leadership report. And this is now, you know, it, it seems like it's becoming an annual thing for Pendo. It is. It is indeed an annual tradition. This is the third iteration of this study. 
And it's something that we're, we're really passionate about because we think that the, there's been kind of a conspicuous absence of this sort of data and product teams have a real appetite for understanding, you know, what does best practice look like? How do they think about measuring success? What do reporting lines look like and organizational models? How do uh, product teams get to customer insight? How do they make key decisions on what basis? How do they think about tooling? How do they think about process? And we wanted to put some quantitative rigor around that. And that's what this survey has been about. We're also, as a company, as you know, and you live every day, super passionate about the discipline of product management. So it's interesting for us to just geek out on this and better understand, you know, the state of the state as it relates to the markets we serve. And, and also something that's been um, a real hit with the communities that we're, that we're serving. So talk to us about the process of this year's state of product leadership. What was different? What did you see? Yeah. And then we'll dig into the findings. Yeah, absolutely. And I'll tell you before we dive into that, that we surveyed 600 product managers and product executives in North America and the UK, uh, France and Germany. Um, so that's the sample size. It is a bit B2B biased, in fact, heavily B2B biased. So I'll, I'll just give you that as the qualifier before we dig into the findings. One of the interesting findings, um, and this isn't particularly hard hitting, but I think an interesting finding nonetheless, is the fact that product teams or product leaders, the ones that have achieved significant uh, seniority within their careers have disproportionately invested in formalized PM training. So product management's always been one of these things that we learn on the job. And there hasn't been a whole lot of formalized, you know, academic uh, training programs for really studying the craft. It's something that you are, are sort of maybe inherently inclined toward. Maybe you sort of stumble your way into a product management role, or maybe you have a mentor or a leader in your team that you really respect and you sort of gravitate in that direction, but it's not something you go to school for necessarily, and that's changing. So disproportionately, those that have reached executive level roles have some formal credential that they've achieved in product management. And you know, we're starting to see, for example, Carnegie Mellon, your alma mater, now has an MS in product management program that, that's fairly um, new and distinct and different. We're also seeing MBA concentrations in product management and certificate programs. And then, of course, non-academic programs from some of these um, programs like uh, General Assembly and Product School and the like. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely good to see, you know, Carnegie Mellon and other schools, you know, launching formal programs, having, in, in Carnegie Mellon's case, a, a master's in product management. So go Tartans there. Got to give them their their shout out. And it's been great to see more and more kind of training from the pragmatics of the world to the product schools and others. Uh, a lot more emphasis on, you know, the, the craft behind product management as opposed to just kind of throwing people at the job and, and telling them to, to figure it out, so to speak. And I think uh, we're going to see more of that in the future, right? This is a, a trend and a direction you've seen increase over the three years of the survey? For sure. Absolutely. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. We've seen some things hold consistent year over year and some things change pretty dramatically. And I think that's probably a good segue into the next finding, which is product management reporting lines. I mentioned that I've had product management reporting into me as a marketing leader more than once. Eric, uh, you have as well. Last year, we found that more than any other reporting line, product managers were reporting into the CMO or the office of the CMO, but it had uh, decreased 
marginally from the year before. So it's that was a two-year pattern that we saw, but we saw a downward trend in that as the common reporting line and an upward trend in reporting into a CPO or equivalent. So that's to say a product executive that has a C-level role reporting typically into a CEO. And this year we saw a very dramatic shift in the same direction. So today, more than any other role, product teams are reporting into a CPO more than half of the time. And marketing, which I mentioned had been the more common reporting line for the last couple of years that we've run this survey, is now last. So that's pretty pretty significant shift. That is a significant shift. And I think good as, as you know, the, the craft of product management gets acknowledged or the importance of the craft of product management gets acknowledged at the most senior levels, whether the CEO or the board, uh, I think we're going to continue to see that shift. And I'm definitely excited about that. So let's talk a little bit about the characteristics of product managers. I was really interested in hearing that, you know, product leaders tended to be more quants as opposed to more poets, right? Talk to me about some of those characteristics, what their backgrounds are, what their career aspirations are, you know, what their underlying personality characteristics look like. Yeah, it's interesting. We always ask, you know, where, where did you come from? What was the last job you held? What's your academic background? What's the ideal future job? What do you aspire to become? And this year we saw a very decided trend in the direction of uh, more technical disciplines. So technical backgrounds, technical uh, academic foundations, technical last jobs, and technical futures. So certainly uh, a more technical bunch than we've seen in the past. We've seen much more variation on those questions when we've asked them before. And it's interesting because I know I, I know a lot of product leaders that come from a diversity of backgrounds, and I've always been concerned about you know even though I I have a CS degree or a computer engineering degree to be technical, I, I've always been concerned about overly technical PMs kind of getting in engineering's business so to speak uh, a little too much, like coming with a, pre- a prescriptive solution as opposed to framing a problem and working together to solve it. Do you think this is an aberration or a trend to the more technical product manager? Because I I thought we saw a trend in some ways. Away from it. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. I think the short answer is we don't know, but it's something we're going to look at in subsequent surveys to see if the the pattern repeats. But I agree with you. I think that there's a real risk around, and I've experienced this firsthand, where highly competent technical product managers uh, become more prescriptive in how they inform the process uh, rather than giving engineers space to conceive of solutions independently. It can also blind them to the customer need. So to the degree that you're thinking about solutions, I think that it shuts off the part of the brain that's really tuned into the customer need. Where that's a potential risk. That's not to say that that's the case in all circumstances. Yeah, and I don't think it's bad to have a technical background. I mean, <laughs> I definitely have one. In fact, in today's day and age, the technical background gives you so many opportunities to go in so many different directions with your career. Did I mention I have an English degree? Uh, I thought you had a whole wall of degrees. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> all fairly useless, for the record. <laughs> Nonsense. But uh, <laughs> one of the things that I found kind of most surprising about this survey was the number of product people that felt that their companies were product-led. And product-led is relatively new. It's been a new push about how you look at not just growth with product-led growth, but a company as a whole, how you use product to, to empower and drive other departments within the company. So I found this, frankly, a little surprising. Yeah, it's interesting. I didn't. I didn't think it, it was particularly surprising because you know, when you ask any population to assess their own importance, they're 
they're typically inclined to um, have a bit of bias in answering that question. Well, I think it's directionally correct that companies are becoming increasingly product-led. The margin by which they claim that in this particular finding, I think, is, is somewhat dubious, and we call that out in the report. But again, I think you're right. Product-led businesses are increasingly how we think about any, any business model or any go-to-market strategy where you, know, you can no longer hide behind a false brand promise. The product itself needs to deliver the proof. Um, it's often one of the first moments the truth in the buying journey. It's how you research and evaluate products. And in, you know, in many cases, it's the basis for how users are engaging with the company and experiencing the brand. So getting the product right is utterly critical and learning how to sort of instrument the experience so you can really take advantage of how users are engaging with the product is, is also critical for how you drive growth. Yeah, and, and maybe some of this too is like a lot of people think when they think product-led, they a lot of cases think product-led growth and they think freemium and a lot of companies do have freemium or free offerings out there, but there's so much more to product-led. Totally. There's how you empower these different groups, how you empower customer success through product data to, to be able to identify customers that are likely to churn or might be opportunities for upsell. Yeah. There's a ton of things you can do with product to be truly product-led or, or more maturely product-led that go beyond just kind of the, you know, hey, let's launch a, a free tier that might be constrained in some way and we use as leads for upsells. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't say it better myself. I think that it is easy to, to be sort of confused by the notion of product-led as being somehow equivalent to the idea of freemium to premium buying journey. I think that's part of it. It's maybe the most obvious expression of product-led, but being product-led is, is just about really understanding your customer and delivering a product experience that anticipates and fulfills their needs and really seeks to delight them to drive retention and growth over time. Yeah, I, I, I think if I was to give advice to some of the listeners out there, I would think I would challenge them to think about how they can use their role, their data, their product to empower more of the other parts of the organizations and pick different areas where they can influence the workflows. And those might be around, you know, churn reduction, that might be around trial optimization, that might be around helping salespeople qualify, you know, upsell opportunities based upon product data, actions in the product, and other characteristics you can capture through, you know, your customers or your prospects use of the product. And could probably go on and on about some different things people could do there. But there's there's a lot of opportunity, you know, to be more product-led in companies beyond just thinking about, you know, freemium offerings, right? 100%. That's just that's just kind of like the, the toe in the pool, so to speak. Totally. So talk to me about um, some of the challenges you see. I, I know the, the SOPL report, the State of Product Leadership report, often asks product managers and product leaders where they're challenged, right? Where did you uh, hear about the challenges they're facing today? What were their big ones? Yeah, so we asked two questions in that respect. We had, the first question is, you know, what are you sort of the racy model of what are you responsible for? What are you accountable for? What are you consulted on? What are you informed about? Where are you not involved across a variety of different typical product management or go-to-market functions. And then we ask a follow-on question, which is, for each of these functions, which will, how would you rate your performance and maturity along, along these lines? And then what's interesting is when we start looking at the things that product management plays a significant role in where performance is low, then we start to hone in, or we look at things that you'd expect product management to play a significant role in 
and performance is low. Those are sort of these knowledge gaps or these, these, these insights that we can derive some meaning from and really understanding what's going on here. And the ones that really popped for me are the product roadmap. You know, this is an area where product teams always struggle is prioritization of product investments because it feels like, you know, you're just always making impossible trade-offs. If you have a hundred things you could possibly do, maybe you can resource six of them. I don't think that's an unrealistic way to think about the degree of, you know, sort of what makes the cut within a, within a product organization. And uh, sometimes the ability to really assess the importance of one thing versus another becomes really difficult. So how do you know that something is going to be, feels like just a lot of speculation and sort of gut feel judgment around what's going to make the cut and what isn't? So two things came out of the survey that were interesting. The first is that product management feels accountable or consulted in the road mapping process, but not responsible for it. I uh, would have expected to see a lot more direct responsibility within product teams. Of course, we can only interpret that what that means, but you can imagine that, you know, within a lot of companies, politics and, and power dynamics drive roadmap prioritization. So you think, I mean, you know, to look into stuff that we don't have the data behind or you don't have the data behind. Only make inferences. Yeah. To make those inferences, you see them maybe saying they're like, oh, half of my roadmap's already committed because of sales commitments or what have you. Right. Yeah. So the sales team is make, making commitments on my behalf or the it's the highest paid person's opinion or the squeakiest wheel or the loudest voice. These things can often influence roadmap decisions. And by the way, product teams don't feel great about their ability to make these decisions. So they feel unempowered to a large degree and really having being the final arbiter of authority and making prioritization decisions and then somewhat ineffectual in doing so. Hmm. That's very interesting. And I, I think it lays into like one of the data points I saw that product managers see themselves as more tactical than visionary and believe their organizations value that more. And maybe so that ties into a little bit of this. If a lot of the roadmap, if they have less control over the roadmap than they think they're going to or that a visionary should, maybe that maps into organizations valuing more tactics than, than visionary product managers. Yeah, and I'm of, I'm of two minds on this question. I think that to a large degree, we all know if we've been in product management or around product management that sort of the, the, the heroic archetype, the Jobsian profile, you know, the person who can see around corners and, and really sort of into it their way to great product is rare. That's not really what product managers do. What they do is a whole lot of rigorous work. They do a lot of research. They do a lot of customer interviews. They do a lot of internal interviews. They do a lot of interaction with the engineering team and the sales teams. So there's, there's just a whole lot of moving parts in product management. It can be kind of an unglamorous job, in a sense, a grind. I think that there's a risk to that. I think there's a reality to it and a risk. The reality is that this is just what it takes to build great products and to make product management effective within any organization. The risk is it can blind you to the opportunities for innovation. And you can get into a cycle of just being reactive and responsive to many different signals that are being pushed your way, as opposed to creating the space to step step back and think creatively. It's not to say that it should devolve into an inspiration-driven function, but I think that great thinking comes at the intersection of both hard data and, and inspiration and just sort of human instinct. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, more of a, you know, data inform. I mean, pulling on that overlap of like instinct and data, you know, data informed, not necessarily data driven, if you want to go to that wording like semantic that. that a lot of people talk about. Yeah. I mean, I'm like data driven, it means you use data. I'm not telling you, you know, you drive yourself over a cliff because Google Maps says keep going straight. I mean, yeah. we're all kind of, we all should take data for what it's worth, but it should guide us. But it shouldn't guide us to our own destruction. 100%. But, you know, words do matter. And it's funny how people do react to data-driven that way. Like, it's the the threat of the robots are going to displace product management. That's never going to happen. It makes Um, me chuckle sometimes because I'm all like, general direction, that's right. But, yes, if if you're thinking about it very specifically to that word, informed is probably a better word or or guided is probably a better word than driven, you know. Definitely driven from the standpoint of there's nothing else out there like a horse with blinders on. Exactly. So one of the other challenges I noticed looking at this was that product leaders are challenged with customer onboarding. Tell me about that. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's sometimes a shared responsibility between product management and and customer success. But this is, you know, one of the things that we found in this survey, not to jump ahead, but how product teams are measuring success is increasingly about adoption and usage of the product. And how do you ensure that you're able to achieve those outcomes? Well, you you help your users discover value. And so this challenge of ensuring, you know, sort of the first use experience and, and guiding users to find the things that are going to meet their needs and satisfy their, their expectations and, and help create habits inside the product, that doesn't happen by accident. And increasingly, it needs to happen inside the product. So product teams have recognized this as, A, an area where they they don't feel as effective as they want to be, and also an area where they don't feel as responsible as they might expect. Uh, Similar to road mapping, it's kind of that dilemma of recognizing it as important, but feeling like your hands are tied in a sense. Yeah, I mean, that's interesting because it leads into something else I noticed, which is that Product leaders feel that they're dependent on that close alignment with the customer success function, but they worry that their the relationship there is weak. So, you know, when you look at customer onboarding, which increasingly is moving into the product, and you look at the customer success function, uh, which is built to make sure customers are successful, I guess by definition, it's interesting to see that there's a weakness in that interaction that this survey brought to light. Yeah, in a sense... The relationship between product management and CS is increasingly like, like the relationship has always been between marketing and sales. It's a really, really essential relationship to get right, in part because of the product-led you know, sea change that we've been talking about, where the product itself has to do the selling, right? so the product team needs to get that right, and then the the customer success team is responsible for driving retention and growth and and managing the relationship with the customer. So getting that dynamic really, really tight and right is important. And, and many companies are still struggling with it. We've seen that as a trend over the last three years of the survey. It's interesting because we've always heard, you know, stories working in product of or been there on the front lines where like salespeople would say, oh, I lost this deal because you didn't have X feature, you know, blaming a, a sale loss on, on a product person or a product direction or product prioritization, however you want to look at it. But you can see that a little bit now. We're like, oh, the customer onboarding in the product wasn't good enough. Therefore, on the CS side, we struggled to retain this customer. 100%. And, and that is, I mean, it's, there's probably more truth to that than the salespeople losing a deal over a particular feature uh, because 
user onboarding, that customer onboarding process is, right, the biggest driver of retention. Yeah, and I think, um, and this is the same, same, same as the case within sales and marketing organizations. If you don't have a shared set of goals and a shared set of metrics and a, a shared vocabulary, then you're talking past each other. And it's easy to point fingers and to blame the other organization. So standardizing around KPIs and setting goals together and having one shared view of the truth from a data perspective and clear roles and responsibilities and an understanding of the handoffs is, is really, really critical between product management and, and CS in the same way it is between marketing and sales. Now, I would argue that you know, product has needs to have tight relationships, really, and especially in a product-led company with all of the other departments, right? I mean, sales comes across with product-led growth, with things like freemium offerings, with using product data to identify and upsell, you know, customers that or identify customers and hand them over to sales, maybe to upsell, you know, based upon their usage characteristics. So we've seen that tight relationship with the, in particular, with freemium offerings. We've seen the tight relationship with marketing between product management and product marketing. We've seen it with engineering, with where product, you know, participating in and in, in leading things like backlog grooming and working with agile teams and being part of that engineering team. And maybe we just need to strengthen that relationship with CS because onboarding becomes a huge factor in retention. I would argue one way to do this is to think as a product manager about how important retention is to you. Like you should be thinking of that as maybe as one of, I would say not even maybe, you should be thinking of that as one of your primary metrics to measure your success as a product leader, retention, right? 100%. Because building a product isn't just about building it and getting it out there and shipping it. It's about, you know, seeing, making sure people can sell it on the sales side, but most importantly, making sure that there's enough value people are getting out of the product that they actually renew and stay customer. Yeah, 100%. Couldn't agree more. I, you know, one of the things that we found, and we asked a few questions about this in the survey, is that aspects of how we sell, how we market, how we support, educate, train, serve our customers are now showing up inside the product. And in support of that, there is sort of this, this new function that's emerging within more than half of companies as a, as a dedicated function that's often described as product operations or product ops. And product ops plays sort of an orchestrator role in, in sort of coordinating the interactions between the various departments that are dependent on product data uh, and sharing product insights so they can make better decisions within their own functions, but as importantly, acting as sort of the traffic cop to ensure that as they engage with users inside the product, they do it in a way that, that really adds up to a delightful customer experience and makes some sense in a coherent way because they can see across all these different functions. And then they also, to your point around product needs to align with and collaborate with lots of different functions, they become the point of alignment with all the different groups within, within the organization. I think one of the benefits of product ops is to help mitigate what I said before, which is product management becoming sort of undone or weakened by lots of busy work. Product teams need to create the space to make better product decisions and to, to be thoughtful about, about their strategies. And the only way to do that is to offload some of the operational burden that's so evident within modern product management roles. Yeah, no, I absolutely see a necessity to a product ops function, especially as companies mature, because without that, the product team can get distracted by a lot of the communications. And if they're not staffed 
with a product ops team in the right way, you'll, you'll start to see things like customer interactions go down because there's a lot of internal work being done by the product team, which really just comes down to having enough product team members in general, which traditionally I've seen a lot of companies understaffed with product. But I see that changing too. For sure. So, you know, one of the findings I think that, that's interesting too is how product leaders see themselves, right? They, they see themselves as, as data-driven, going back to that, that data component, or maybe, you know, data-inspired, data-guided, data-informed, however you want to pick the, the last word. And they see themselves with this holistic view of the customer and market insights. Do you, you think that's true? Did you, you, you believe in that result? Yeah, I mean, we've seen progress made in this idea of data-driven versus instinct-driven over the last three years, where, uh, to your point, product teams, product leaders see themselves as, as increasingly data-driven. Probably no surprise, I think, as you unpack that finding, to really understand what they mean by that, it becomes more interesting. We ask questions around, like, what's the balance between qualitative and quantitative insight? And, you know, frankly, I think the real insight lives at the intersection of both. It's not just what your customers say, but what they do. And, and really, uh, that reveals the real truths. And uh, it was good to see that, that it's a very, very clear balance between qual and quant. Product teams are thinking about it very holistically. Then when we ask them questions like, how are you making decisions? Are you responding to what customers want or are you delivering what you believe they need? Very decidedly focused on customer response. That's a double-edged sword, of course. Uh, it's good to know that they have empathy and that they're tuned into the customer need. But at the same time, you know, there's the often misattributed Henry Ford quote that if Customers asked me what I needed. They would have said faster horses. You can't count on your customers being visionaries. And sometimes just being um, beholden to what your customers are asking for can lead to sort of continuous innovation, much more like incremental evolution of your product versus the, the more significant giant leaps that come from uh, the strikes of innovation or, or inspiration that that are sometimes independent from that customer signal. So let's go back to something that I'd be remiss if I didn't go back to, which is metrics, right? We, we talked a little bit about, you know, metrics trending towards adoption on product usage. What metrics did you find in, in the state of product leadership are important to product managers? What metrics are they actively tracking? Yeah, so the last several years that we've asked this question, we've reacted with something like mild horror to learn that product teams more than any other metric were, were measuring their success on the basis of features shipped. And if you know anything about you know, metrics dysfunction, you immediately see how that could go way wrong. If you're measuring, you're just shipping lots of features that users aren't getting value from. Have you really achieved your goal? Uh, no, probably not. We've corroborated that with some other research that we've done looking at feature adoption in general and, and found that something like 80% of features are literally never used or rarely used by end users. So if features aren't being adopted, they obviously aren't delivering value to users and the investment associated with that is more or less wasted. So it was good to see this year that the way that product teams are measuring success is largely converging around factors of adoption and usage. So it's uh, product usage, DAO, WOW, MAO, you know, daily active usage, weekly act active usage, monthly active usage. 
were uh, various measures of product adoption or feature adoption were really the higher, highest ranking KPIs for thinking about product management's impact within the organization. And I, I think that's a good trend. I mean, we've all heard, or most of us have probably heard, you know, the horrors of feature factories, right? Product orgs just designed to ship features as quickly as possible. I would love to see, though, retention added to that list, right? I, I think if I'm interviewing a, to hire a product leader today, I want him to talk to me about when I ask about metrics, I want him to talk to me about the importance of retention, right? How about it's not just about building something, it's about maintaining that customer, it's about giving them that value so they're willing to buy again and again. So I'd love to see some of that coming in the future. Though I am really happy that we're looking at things like usage and adoption uh, and all of that data and using that to empower our product decisions. So I'm excited about that. I would challenge the PMs out there, though, you know, as I say over and over again sometimes, I think, to look at retention, right, and look at the value of tracking retention and not just think of that as a revenue challenge. For sure. So. You know, based on these, you know, these findings, talk to me about what recommendations you have. Yeah, yeah. So a few things come to mind. The first is, you know, I, I mentioned the finding around the, the correlation between the seniority and product management and achieving formal, um, a formal credential. Give it some thought. There are so many different programs that are available today. It doesn't mean you need to interrupt your career and go back to school unless you want to. There are lots of different ways to sort of retool or sharpen the saw any way you want to think about it to really understand the disciplines of modern product management. So big fan of continuous learning. And I think it's, uh, you know, there's progressively more ways to to turn the crank on that as a product manager. The other thing I'd, I'd consider is taking a close look at reporting lines. I mentioned that the majority of product teams are now reporting into a CPO. So we've talked about two recommendations, you know, kind of retooling or sharpening the saw, right? And then reviewing reporting lines. And I know when I I speak, you know, I'm speaking to executives or founders or CEOs, I'm often like, you really should think about having a CPO that reports directly to you. So those are two big recommendations. What else? What else you got, Jake? So um, get your roadmaps in order. So find ways to make your roadmap prioritization process more inclusive, more data-driven, and consider giving product teams more authority in the final decisions. Uh, It can be so subject to the squeakiest wheel, the loudest voice, the most powerful person's uh, opinion. And ultimately, that doesn't necessarily lead to the the best outcomes. Product people are, are paid often very well to be the voice of your customer, to really empathize with the customer need. You need to trust that. I think it's really important to empower your product teams to influence these decisions more than they're often allowed. Yeah, you know, I remember back in the day, I used to categorize like releases and and break down the level of effort versus who's what constituency they helped support, right? So you could visually see that like, hey, 50% of this next release is all based upon stuff that sales has promised contractually to customers. And I think doing things like that, even if it's just for your own internal purposes, is eye-opening. And, and it can be shared something up the line, up to the CEO, so that they know, you know where you're going with this release or the product in general and, and what's having the most influence on the product roadmap. 100%. Yeah, another recommendation might be to set adoption goals and, to your point, retention goals and create a plan to achieve them and think about the relationship between product and CS in particular, 
around how you drive uh, the right outcomes um, with your customers and ensure that they're in a position to find success within your products. Set goals around that, uh, hold yourself accountable, and create the right experiences to drive those outcomes. And maybe doing something like a feature audit there could be helpful where you kind of look at the features that are most versus least used and map them to sentiment. So you get this two by two grid of like Love used it. a lot, customers like it versus, you know, on the bottom left, it's never used and not liked. Yeah. And then you can create an action plan from that. And I think that kind of doing that thing as first as a baseline and then regularly moving forward on some kind of cadence can give you uh, a lot of visibility into how to set some of the adoption goals and maybe where you can better prioritize the use of resources in that product roadmap. Because, you know, one of the challenges we always hear in the product roadmap is focus. How do you focus on the things that are most important with that scarcity of resources? And how do you do a better job saying no to things? And maybe that feature audit can help you with that. Totally. No, I love that. The final thing I'd, I'd point out is, you know, start thinking about product ops. And uh, when we talk about product operations with customers and others within our community, it can be intimidating because it feels like a net new thing. It doesn't need to. Uh, ultimately, there's a progression that you can think of, which begins with just uh, sort of building the skills across your team and helping your product teams to understand what best practice looks like from a product operations perspective so they can become more operationally adept in their own roles, even if that's shared responsibility. And then as you start to standardize those practices, you can start thinking about how you scale them and how you create a more specialized function in support of your product team. So think of it as a graduated path as opposed to something that you need to do all at once. Sounds awesome. Well, I think we covered a lot today, Jake. I'm you know, obviously, I'm from Pendo. That's for those who don't know. There's definitely some people that think of me as product love and don't know my background with Pendo, which is cool. But as a as a Pendo guy, uh, I'm super stoked that Pendo does this every year as a kind of a information for the broader product community, right? So let them know where they can find the report if they want to read it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So go to uh, pendo.io and um, you will see it promoted pretty heavily on our homepage. If, uh, if you don't, just go to the Resource Center and um, we'll, uh, you'll see the ebook that you can download for free. We also um, have some content related to state of product leadership on our Product Craft site at productcraft.com. And listeners out there, I'd love to hear what you think about the State of Product Leadership Report. You can tweet at me at eBodak on Twitter or send me an email at, at eBodak at pendo.io. Thanks, Jake. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Eric. Great to be here. This has been Product Love. Thank you for tuning into this episode. Check out the rest of our articles and interviews on productcraft.com, an online magazine by and for product people. <laughs>